Well, good morning, 11 o'clock. How are you doing today? Good to see you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you here. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So if it's your first time, you may not know this, but inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out, and uh, we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful to be here, and I pray that you would just, uh, just be with me, help my words to be clear. I pray that most of all, God, you would come and be our teacher. Uh, you would you'd open our eyes to things that we've not seen or maybe forgotten and need to be reminded of, that we would be able to take the next step in this epic life you've called us to lead, and we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we started last week called Epic Living the Vision. And for those of you who are new, this is actually the second uh, of a two-part series uh, uh, based on a letter of, from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christ followers in the area of a major ancient city. The city was called Ephesus. Uh, it's in a kind of modern-day Turkey, about a quarter of a million people at the time. And, uh, and so in the first letter, uh, in, the, in the, first, uh, rather the first series, uh, Epic the Vision, kind of Paul lays out and shares out this epic vision that God has for all of creation that we become a part of when we become a follower of Jesus, that he says that, that uh, when you come to Jesus, you find out there's more to you than meets the eye. That really kind of nothing due to you or being special, just to God's amazing love that he chose you before time began to be part of this vision. He chose you to be forgiven, to be adopted into his family, uh, and to be uniquely gifted to carry out this, uh, kind of help him carry out this vision he has for all of creation to bring it under the leadership of King Jesus. And so uh, today as we move out in this second series, uh, Paul's going to get more specific about how God has gifted us to carry out this vision. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, so I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 17 and go through verse 16, or, or verse 7 and go through verse uh, 16. And uh, there on your note sheet, there's a section called Epic the Gifts. And so let me set it up. Um, last week, if you were here, uh, we entered in the second half of the letter where Paul says, in light of everything I've shared with you about this vision God has for your life, uh, I want you to rise up and be the people that you've called to be. Live life large. Live large. Be, be the people you're created to be. Live out this epic vision. He said, live, uh, live a life worthy of the calling. And he said, you know, we're all united in this new community of Jesus. And he said, the first step is to preserve the unity of the community. And remember last week we said that there's he said there's just there's one body and there's one spirit and there is, uh, uh, there is one hope, a future that we share. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. So the first step to living out this epic, uh, this epic vision is to preserve the unity of the community. Love one another, get along, work through issues, uh, preserve the unity. So that's where he started. And then today he wants us to understand that unity, though, doesn't mean uniformity. That within this unified body, there's a diversity, and one of the ways that we're created differently is that when we come to Jesus, he has different gifts, supernatural abilities that he gives to each of us to help build this new community. And so we pick it up in 4.7, and he says, to each one of us, and I want you to underline that. Someone will come back to many times today, but he'll say this several times, to each one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, this applies to you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this will apply to you when you come to Christ. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. The, the Apostle Paul uses the word grace in a couple different ways. Uh, the first way is the way he uses it most of the time 
where he, he uses the word grace to describe this love of God for us that we don't deserve. And that's, that's why he normally uses it. But he also uses it at times to describe this supernatural empowerings, uh, giftings that God gives to us to live out this vision, to play our part, uh, that come as a result of that grace. And that's how he's using it here. So he says, to each one of us, grace, talking about a spiritual gift. In fact, in the Greek, uh, I pointed this out a few weeks ago, but the, in the Greek, the word for grace is charis. The word, the word for spiritual gift is charismata. And so uh, there's a close connection. So he says, to each of us, grace has been given, spiritual gift has been given, as Christ has apportioned it. So catch this. When you come to Jesus, not only do you receive uh, the gift of his spirit, not only do you receive the gift of forgiveness, but each of us is uniquely graced by Jesus with supernatural empowerings to help play our part in this new community. Now, to back this up, he's going to go to the Old Testament. There's something Paul often does for Paul. The Old Testament, the word of God is his ultimate authority. And he's going to go to the Old Testament to kind of back this up. And so he's going to quote a psalm. He's going to quote a verse from Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, it's a psalm where the psalmist is looking back at Israel's history. Now, in Israel's history, the great event of redemption in, in the Old Testament is the redemption from slavery in Egypt. Okay? In the New Testament, we look back to the cross as the great act of redemption. In the Old Testament, they look back to the slave deliverance from slavery in Egypt. So the psalmist is looking back, and he's describing this time when the God of Israel, Yahweh, descends from heaven to release Israel, free Israel from slavery, he reveals himself at Mount Sinai and then travels with them into the promised land and conquers their enemies. And then he reascends into heaven. So it's a very poetic description of God kind of descending, setting his people free, and then reascending and conquering his enemies. And so in, uh, what, what Paul is going to do is say that Psalm 68 is sort of a picture, an illustration, a prophetic foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus, who will descend from heaven, uh, set us free in the great act of redemption, uh, set us, and kind of uh, destroy our demonic enemies, and then rise again to heaven, uh, taking his captives in his train, and then giving out gifts to all of us who are his followers, who share in his victory. And so that's the, that's the context. So he just says in verse 8, he says, this is why it says in Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, referring initially to Yahweh, but now he's applying it to Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men, these spiritual gifts. And then Paul says, well, what, is, what does he mean he ascended, when the psalmist says he ascended, except that sort of implies that he also descended to the lower earthly uh, the lower earthly regions. Yeah, my, my Bible just went dark. The early, uh, it's like, wait, that's in the shadow. Where did that go? Uh, the lower earthly regions. And so he's saying this, this thing where it says that he ascended, it implies that he descended. And of course, Jesus descended uh, to rescue us before he reascended. And then he, he goes on and he says, uh, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And of course, you know, after his death and resurrection, after Jesus conquered the demonic uh, legions at the cross, then he ascended into heaven and he took the place as uh, right hand of the Father, which is kind of a symbolic way of saying that Jesus is now ruler over all creation. And this is something we often uh, misunderstand or don't understand as, as followers of Jesus, that the decisive battle in this spiritual war that we're taking is in the cross. 
It's there where Jesus conquered the demonic uh, realm and, and regained the rights to rule over all creation. Now, we haven't yet seen him take that rule in power, right? This is still uh, kind of the dark world down here. But like in the book of Revelation, it says at the end of time that Jesus will take his power and begin to rule. And so just because someone is in authority doesn't mean that they have chosen to exercise that authority. And so he's over all creation. He is ruling now. He's not chosen to exercise that now. And so he says that he fills all things. He is the ruler over all creation. Now, now he's going to come back to this, this initial theme that when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. And he's, uh, he's going to focus on the spiritual gifts he gave of leadership to the new community of Jesus. Normally, and we'll see this today as we study this further, that normally when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, he talks about individual gifts given to individual believers, like the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the gift of administration or helps or whatever the gift is. But here he's going to talk not so much about individual gifts, he's going to talk about the leadership that he has given to the new community to help the community of Jesus grow and thrive and become like Jesus. And so he's going to give uh, four or five examples. And he says in verse 11, it was he, speaking of Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, like the apostle Paul, for example, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, those who would share the good news, some to be pastors and teachers, most likely you know, over local, local bodies of Christ followers. And so he says that, that Jesus, when he, he, that he's given these gifts to the body of Christ, to the community, he gives gifts of leadership. And he says their job, in verse 12, is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the job of the leaders in, in a church is really to create an environment where all the members of the church can grow up, become spiritually mature, and begin to use their gifts to build the whole body. That's kind of the job of leadership. And he says the ultimate goal then in verse 13 is until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And what's he talking about? Well, he's using this image, right, that we're the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, we're the body. Jesus is mature, right? We are not. He says, so the, the whole point of, of leadership is to help the whole body mature and grow up so that the body matches the head. Okay? So, so have you ever seen, like, you got into the beach and you see one of these bodybuilders that spent a ton of hours working on their upper body, but they've just really neglected their legs? And they look like Superman on, on you know, like, uh, I don't know, on sticks or something, right? It's just like, it just doesn't look right. And so... So Paul says is that the job of leadership is to create an environment where the whole body can grow up and become mature and strong so the body of Christ matches the head of Christ. So as you look out at the body of Christ on planet Earth, you see Jesus reflected. That there's, a, there's a fullness there that, that it all fits. And then he says in verse 14, then when that happens, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there, by every wind of teaching. So what happens is Paul says the goal of this is that every believer would grow up and become mature. And Paul is going to use a couple different analogies to help us understand this. 
And this is what he often does. He often combines mixed metaphors. And so he says the first analogy is infants. Like if you've ever been around a baby, they're very vulnerable, right? Like I have a new grandchild, and I just, it always amazes me how vulnerable. I mean, they can't really do anything. Like when they're born, like even puppies can do more. There's really not, you don't get a lot, you know, for your money. But anyway, uh, this baby is so vulnerable, right? Very vulnerable. Uh, the second analogy uses a ship at sea. Now, when we think today of ships at sea, we tend to think of big ocean liners, cruise ships. But back then, remember, ships were very small. So in the midst of a storm, uh, your, your life is in danger. You're being blown by every wind, and you're, blown, you're, you're in danger of capsizing. And so Paul uses these two analogies. He says, when we first come to Jesus, we're like spiritual babies. Uh, I, it's funny, after the, the 9 o'clock service, I had a, a young man come after me, sought me out backstage and sought me out and just wanted me to know that he'd given his life to Christ last night. And he just said, you know, that I've, I've known this guy. I've kind of journeyed with him. He gave his life to Jesus last night. He said, I pray with my wife last night, but I'd like to pray with you too. Would you pray for me? And he said, I'm one of those new babies, right? I'm a new baby now. And so he said, for sure. And so when we come to Jesus, we're, we are, we're infants. We're babies. We're very vulnerable, right? We're like ships uh, that uh, at sea in the midst of a storm. And so the job of leadership is to help each person grow up so we're no longer vulnerable. Now you say, vulnerable to what? Well, in this passage, Paul says, vulnerable to false teaching. Now here's the thing. When we are a new believer, we are very vulnerable to false teaching by teachers that don't have our best interests at heart. Now, if you know this, you study world history, you know that one of the basic drives of human beings is the God drive. And even though we've perverted that and seek it in wrong ways, this is why in every culture and every place, you always see there's worship going on, idolatry or something, that we have a hunger for something more. We have the hum hunger for the supernatural. And throughout history, there have always been men and women who want to cap capitalize on that and use you for their purposes, to make money, to, uh, to, to have power, to gain sex, whatever the thing is. And so Paul says when you're a young believer, you're not very discerning, and you're very vulnerable. He says, so the job of church leadership is to bring the truth of Jesus to the body of Christ so that each person can grow up, become strong, match the head, so they're no longer vulnerable to these, this false teaching. And so he goes on and he says, therefore, verse 14 will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind. Now, here's the analogy. Every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. He says, instead, here's what needs to happen. We need to speak the truth in love, and we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, the Christ. Now, interesting. We often, in Christian circles, we use this phrase, well, if you have to confront someone about something they're doing wrong, or if you have to have a difficult conversation, we say, we need to speak the truth in love. Okay? And that's a great thing to do. We, we always want to do it, speak the truth in love. But I want you to catch, that's not at all what Paul's talking about in this passage. What Paul's talking about is the job of spiritual leadership in a church is to bring the truth of Jesus Here's who God is. Here's who you are. Here's how to follow Jesus. 
to bring the truth of Jesus out of a heart of love for the community. Not out of deception, not out of cunning, not trying to rip the community off, use the community for their own purposes. The job of leadership is to bring the truth of Jesus, the life-changing truth, bring it from a heart of love so that the whole body grows up, becomes like Jesus, no longer vulnerable, and we can all use our gifts to thrive. See, that's the job. And so he goes on then, he says in verse 16, for from him, from Christ, the whole body uh, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows, it builds itself up in love as each part, what? Does its work. And so, so, the, so, so here's a big picture of the passage. Paul starts off, Ephesians 4, what? Live a life worthy of your calling. Live big, right? And he says, first job, protect the unity. But unity doesn't mean uniformity that there's going to be diversity. In the body of Christ, he's given each of us different gifts. The job of leadership is to create an environment of truth in love where the body can grow up, become mature. We all use our gifts, and as we do, this new community thrives. That's the flow, chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through verse 16. Now, in the time we have left, what I want to do is I want to highlight two big-picture principles that are extremely important for us uh, to understand if we're going to live out this epic life. You know, that's the whole theme, living, living the epic life. And then come back and ask two specific questions to see how we're doing, do some evaluation. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Epic the Game Plan. And so this is kind of God's game plan for the church. I'm going to be using the sporting analogy a lot today. I think it would be helpful for this. Um, but two, two big picture principles. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand is in this new community of Jesus, in this new body of Christ, everyone plays a position. That in this new community, everyone has a role. Everyone's got a job. Using the sports analogy, Christianity is a team sport. Amen. It's not golf. It's not handball. It's not tennis. It is more like football. It's like basketball. It's like uh, soccer, it's a team sport. Everyone uh, has a position, and it's important for everyone to play a position. Now, in this passage, I want to highlight again, so we just don't miss this. Chapter 4, verse 7. This is the way the passage starts. It's the way the passage ends. In 4, 7, it says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So in other words, when you came to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, like that young man I was talking about that prayed last night, he's come to Jesus, that the moment we give our life to Jesus, three things happen. Number one, we receive forgiveness of sins. Number two, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us, uh, change us, empower us to follow Christ. But number three, we are graced with spiritual empowerings to make a difference, to play, to play our position. So he says, this is how it starts, and then he'll get 4.16. This is how the passage ends. For from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. So this is God's vision, right? Now, this is something the, the Apostle Paul works out in greater detail in other letters. And I want to give you a couple examples. There in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about this, using the same analogy, body, uh, Jesus, the head, we're the body. And look what he says, now to each one of us, and I want you to underline that again, no exceptions here, your follower of Jesus applies to you. 
to each one of us the manifestation of the Spirit, this supernatural spiritual empowering, is given, and is given for what? The common good. So I want you to catch this. The gifts that you have received are not primarily for you. Now, we're going to talk about this more today. When you discover your gifts and your assignments and you're in that place, it's part of your joy. It's part of your epic calling. It's going to make your life amazing, right? It's like really important. So you're going to be blessed by it. You're going to experience God's power working through you at those times. You're gifted. So, So that's extremely important for you. But what I want you to catch is the reason Jesus gave you the gift is not primarily for you. It's for, so it's like if you have the gift of encouragement, it's not that you, so that you feel better. <laughs> the reason Jesus gave you the gift is because there's a lot of discouraged people out there that need you. Amen. And if God gave you the gift of teaching, it's not so you can feel great about, wow, what a gifted teacher I am. It's because there are a lot of people out there who are in the dark and they need to be enlightened so they can rise and be who they're called to be. And if God gave you the gift of giving, it's not primarily so you can feel, isn't that awesome that God's made me so generous? It's so that for the people who really are hurting and suffering, they can have their needs met. See, So these gifts are for the common good. So he goes on and he says, to, he gives some examples. And by the way, in these gift lists that we're going to be looking at, uh, almost all scholars would agree that, you know, you, look, you compare the gift lists in the New Testament there might be somewhere between, say, 20, 24 gifts, depending on how you, you, you count them. But uh, almost all scholars would agree, these are not exhaustive gifts, lists. So in other words, there's other gifts. Like, for example, I believe uh, one gift that's not mentioned is the gift of prayer. But I believe in the body of Christ, some people have a unique gift of prayer. Like, we're all supposed to pray, but there's certain people that have been called to pray, and, and when they pray, things happen more often than other people, and they spend long times in prayer, and it doesn't tire them out. It energizes them, right? So, so I believe there are other gifts not mentioned, but these are examples. And so Paul says, to one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and to another, the, the message of knowledge by, this, by means of the same Spirit, and to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, the gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. And then catch this, all these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Right? So it's interesting, in Ephesians 4, Paul says that Jesus is the one passing out the gifts. Here it says the spirit is the one distributing. And so you have Jesus and the spirit working together, Jesus determining, the spirit delivering. He's like the FedEx of the Trinity. All right, so... Romans 12. (laughs) Romans 12, next passage. Uh, Paul says, just as each of us has one body with many members. So, okay, we're all sitting here. We all have a body, right? And we all have different members. We have arms, we have legs, we have uh, eyes, nose, ears, and so on, different members. In the same way, using that as an analogy, he says, those members don't have the same function. You know, your eyes see, your ears hear different functions. So in Christ, we who are many, we form one body, and each member, each of us, belongs to all the others. Now circle that. Like, dude, your gifts belong to me. Like, I own you. My gifts belong to you. Interesting, earlier in, in, in 
1 Corinthians 7, Paul says in a marriage, he says, he's talking about sexuality. He says in a marriage, you need to make sure you're having a strong sex life. And he says, because he says, the wife's body doesn't belong to her. It belongs to her husband. And he says, the husband's body doesn't belong to himself, belongs to his wife. In a similar way, he says, in the body of Christ, our gifts belong to one another. So implication, if you're not using your gifts, you're ripping off the rest of us. Because they belong to us. Have you ever seen like Kobe Bryant, right? He's such a fierce competitor. Have you ever seen Kobe take to task someone on the team who's not doing their job? <laughs> he's like, he's going to call them out. In fact, he's going to call them out to the extent that if he, he'll send you to play for the Houston Rockets, right? <laughs> so in the body of Christ, we belong to one another. Your gifts belong to me, mine to you. And if you're not using your gifts, hey, you're ripping the rest of us off because this is how the whole body thrives, this is like being a, a football team where the left tackle just goes, yeah, I'm not blocking this play. <laughs> like, dude, we just lost the game because of you, right? All right. So he goes on and he says, um, he says we be they belong to the others. He says, so we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Notice how grace is used there, grace and gifts. The grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to his faith. In other words, according to the conviction of what God's calling him to do. And uh, he says, so if his, if his gift is prophesying, let him use it. Uh, he says, if he's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of the saints or the others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, if this is your gift, do it. All right? Because we need you. And I want you to catch this. As you look through these lists, there are some of the gifts that are more kind of impressive or obviously supernatural. Like if your gift is healing and you're laying hands on people and they're getting well, we're obviously like, dude, that's supernatural. Right? There's other people that have gifts that aren't as obviously supernatural. You have the gift of administration, helps, serving. We're not like, dude, the way you put that chair up, amazing. Right? <laughs> but what Paul is saying is don't be deceived. That all these gifts are gifts of the Spirit. They're gifts of God's grace. They're all supernatural. They're all incredibly important. Okay? So that's the first thing he wants us to understand is that everyone on this new community has a position to play. Number two, this is phenomenal. The second point is just amazing. He says, he says the job of leaders is leaders are coaches. On this team, Team Jesus, that leaders are coaches. Now, this is something that we wouldn't probably have guessed if he hadn't told us this. I think naturally when we think of leaders, we think of leaders are the players on the field. In fact, often in the body of Christ, we, we look at this like we come to church, we just kind of watch the leaders perform. We're like, like, we're like fans in the stands. In fact, we even have stadium seating back there for some of you. <laughs> and what Paul wants us to understand is, no, that's not how it works. In the community of Jesus, the job of leaders primarily isn't to play the position, all the positions. The job is to coach everyone else up so they can play their positions. 
The job of leaders is to bring the truth of Jesus and to create environments of learning and growth where everyone can grow up spiritually, become like Jesus, and use their gifts. So leaders are more like coaches than players. Now, you see this in chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, the job of leaders is to prepare God's people for works of service. Now remember, back in chapter 2, we'll look at this more later, Back in chapter 2, when we were told that we were chosen before time began, we were told that we're not chosen based on our works, nothing that we've done, but we were chosen for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Remember that? And so what, what Paul's saying here is the job of leaders is to create an environment where the truth about Jesus, the truth about how to live life, how to follow Jesus, is being presented, is being presented in a heart of love so the whole body can grow up and become mature and now start using their gifts and, and, and go out and make a difference. And so this is one of the biggest challenges, I think, and we have in unleashing a movement. This is one of the biggest challenges facing the church of Jesus. It's one of the biggest challenges facing the church of Jesus throughout history. That there tends to be this natural uh, gravitation to have this kind of two kind of twofold system where you have kind of the, the special people, the leaders who do ministry, and everyone else who watches, right? And it kind of makes sense in a way because, like, when you come in, like, if, if you know, you, when you come into a weekend service like this, what happens? You come in, and if you're not paying attention, if you're not on your game, you can come in, find a seat. Uh, get your program, see what's going to happen today, and you can just kind of sit back and watch the service unfold like it's a game, right? And then you can clap when you think their leaders are doing a good job. You can boo when you think they're doing a bad job. And the way we boo is by using connect cards, right? <laughs> it's too hot, too cold, too loud, too soft, too long, not very funny, whatever. Um, and so you, you get this, is that you kind of understand this, but I think what's, what's happened is we've misunderstood uh, what's happening when we gather to. There's a couple major problems with this paradigm that the job of leaders is to perform and the job of everyone else is to watch and applaud or boot. A couple major problems. First of all, is that that is not what's happening here at our weekend services. So let me reframe this. Every month we do a next step dessert for new guests at Rocky Peak. And one of the things I share is here's our, our paradigm for our weekend service. Our paradigm for our weekend service is what I call a paradigm of encounter. That when we're, what's happening at a weekend service, you're not coming to watch some people perform. We're coming to meet with God. Amen. All of us. And we're coming to participate. So we come in this place and what's happening is we have some gifted leaders leading us in worship so we can enter into the presence of God and experience his presence. And then we have some gifted teachers get up and unpack the word of God so that Jesus can speak through those teachers and you can hear his voice and you can be transformed and changed. The truth can be proclaimed in love in a way you grow up and you go out to live for Jesus, right? So what happens in here is not a participation spectator sport. What happens in here is a, participa a participation in an encounter with God. Does that make sense? Now, quick sidebar on this. And this is not meant to be a slam on anyone. Some of you are going to think I'm here to slam you. I am not. Right. <laughs> and in just a minute, you're, some of you are going to start getting very nervous. But I'm telling you, this is a teaching moment. This is a truth in love moment, right? 
for some of us, we need to rethink the way we do weekend service. And what I mean by that is we need to come prepared. We need to come ready to meet with God. And part of that means we need to come on time. (laughs) Some of you are going like, uh, I think that's right. Uh, I'm feeling so awkward. I came like 15 minutes late. Uh, All right, so here's the thing. This is not like a shaming moment, right? Not a shaming moment. Here's what I want you to catch. Often we look at a weekend service performance-oriented. We look at it like going to the movies, right? So like when I go to the movies, uh, Lynn and I will look up times and what time is that? It's like, do we have time to make it? And like, oh, it starts in five minutes. That's okay. It doesn't really start for 20 minutes, right? Because I have 15 minutes of trailers. And so that's okay. We can still catch the movie. And so we walk in the middle and there's no problem with that, right? Because the main event... The main event is the movie. And a lot of us look at like, like the main event is the message. So as long as you're here by the message, you've come in on time, right? But here's what we want to catch. Well, we're coming together for worship. We're coming together as the people of God to meet with God. The, the, this is more, this is, yeah, this is more like a wedding than a movie. And at a wedding, you wait till everyone gets there. Because when that bride comes in, you want to be ready. When that bride comes in, you want to stand up and turn around and it's, well, you know what? The roles are reversed. We are the bride, right? And he is the bridegroom. And when he walks in the room, we want to be ready. We want to be here to meet with him. We are here, Jesus, under your leadership. You're our king. You're our Lord. And we want to meet with you. And so for a lot of you, I know that, hey, you've never really thought of it that way. And that's why it's not a shaming moment. I'm just saying like, hey, let's just understand what's happening here at our weekend service. And, and let's come together and let's meet with him, you know, together. Okay, so, so the first thing is this paradigm of uh, the, the, the problem we have in doing church often in, in America today is that we think church is what happens on the weekends. And we think, church is, um, we think church is what happens in a building. Like when I say church, we think building. Right? But I want to remind you what we learned a few weeks ago, that the word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. And it comes out of two words. The first word ek, which means out of or from, and kaleo, which means to call. And so the ekklesia are the people who have been called out. Called out of what? We've been called out of darkness, called out of death. We were part of Adam's fallen race. We've been woken up, raised from the dead, recreated. We've been called out to form the new community of Jesus that's going to rule with him forever, the new creation. We're the ecclesia. And so what we need to understand is that the weekend service is just a one small part of what it means to be the church of Jesus. It's an extremely important part. I compare the weekend service to the huddle in a football game. So like when you go to watch a football game, uh, you're not really going to watch the huddle, but the huddle's very important because in the huddle you come and you gather together and you compare notes what's working on the last play, and most importantly, you get your next play from your head coach. And you learn, and then you go carry out the play. So that's what we huddle up every weekend to meet with our head coach, to get inspired, to get taught, to learn, to grow, how to carry out our callings, and then we go out to be the church of Jesus. You see, we gather as the church so we can go out and be the church. And so we go out, we go out to our homes, we go out to our families, we go out to our workplace, we go out to little league teams and soccer fields, 
and we go out to our ministries and our life groups, we, we go out to live lives worthy of the calling, Amen. right? And as we go out there, the movement of Jesus spreads and it goes on. So church is not just what happens here. Church is what happens there. And Paul says, once you get this, Paul says, so the job of leaders then is to create an environment where truth about what it means to be a follower of Jesus can be shared in, out of a heart of love. And we all grow up and we get strong and we're not vulnerable and we go out to be the church of Jesus, okay? So every one of us has a position and leader's job is to coach. Two things he wants us to catch. Yeah. Okay, so two questions to see how we're doing. They're in your note sheets, a section called Epic, How's Your Game? And I have two questions just to kind of evaluate your, your, your life, your game. And number one goes like this, do you know your position? And by this, I'm really asking two kind of sub-questions. One, I'm asking, do you know your gifts? But I'm also asking, do you know your assignment? Because we can know our gifts, but over time, our assignments change. Um, so, for example, um, earlier in Ephesians, and I've referred to this a couple times, but they're in your note sheet, Paul said in chapter 2, he said, um, he said, we are God's workmanship, like his project. Remember that workmanship, poema, where we get our word poem? Uh, it's a word that's often associated with creation. And so Paul says that we are God's project, where it's workmanship, we're created, there it is, in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we, we've learned this. Before time began, God chose you to forgive you, adopt you, fill you with his spirit, but he's got assignments for you to help him bring all of creation under uh, his leadership. Right? So we've got specific assignments. Then today we learned that we've been graced. We've been gifted with different gifts. And so the question is, okay, so do you know your gifts? Do you know your current assignments? Now, a few weeks ago, uh, some of the guys in my life group, one of the guys sent, a, uh, sent us out uh, just a, a kind of a, an email from, uh, that had this long quote from um, Oswald Chambers, who's one of my spiritual mentors, uh, literary mentors. Um, and I want you to see what he says about this, about finding your position. He says, joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of the specific purpose for which I was created and born again. I would say it the, way, the reason for which you were born and the reason you're born again. He says, joy comes to our life when we come to a place where we understand why we were born, what we were born for, why we were born again. What are the assignments, the callings of God? He says, that's what he says. Uh, he says, you know, you can do a lot of things in life. You can have a lot of success, but until you find what you're created to do, you'll never have true joy. And he goes on and he says, um, it's, just, it's not from, the joy is not from successfully doing something of my own choosing. He said, we each have to find a niche in life. And spiritually, we find it when we receive a ministry from the Lord, from him directly. And to do this, we must have close fellowship with Jesus, and we must know him as more than our personal Savior. What he's saying is that to find this niche, you, you're going to have to press into that relationship with the Lord. It's going to come from him. You need to hear from him. Now, how do we find our position? I want to give you just really rapidly, just kind of five steps. Five things that we should do, five things that are helpful to do, but then I want to come back to what Oswald has said at the end of this. So just real quick, I think one thing we can do, it's real practical. If you've never done this before, one thing you can do is you can take one of these spiritual gift inventories. 
Uh, my favorite one is the one by C. Peter Wagner. You'll see it re referenced there under this point. Uh, we have some in our bookstore. Uh, you can buy them Amazon online. It's a good place to start. A second thing you can do, you can do some study of spiritual gifts. Uh, one book I would recommend is the one on your note sheet by C. Peter Wagner, Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. I don't really like the title, but it's a great study on spiritual gifts. A third thing that you can do, uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, is you can take this course that we have online here free of charge. It's, called, it's one of our essentials courses. It's called uh, Serving Sacrificially, Discovering Your Purpose. And this is an in-depth look at what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts, uh, and it's some great testing instruments of your personality, spiritual giftings, uh, your, your life experience, and so on. I think it's the third thing. Uh, a, a fourth thing you can do is talk to those who know you best. Uh, one of the great things for like a life group to do is to, to take the spiritual inventory together and then share, share, here's what it says some of my gifts may be, and have you seen, you know, how have you seen that in my life? Because often that we will recognize gifts in one another before we recognize them in ourselves. And so when, when this, this fourth step is one you can do with the other three as you're learning, as you're studying, as you're taking inventories, to be discussing it with people who know you well and say, because they often will help you identify strengths you don't even know you have. A fifth step is to uh, reflect on your heart and your history. And by your heart, I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about what are your passions? And when I talk about your history, I'm, I'm asking, like, how has God used you in the past? Can I tell you something that I was a pastor for like a year and a half before I realized I had leadership gifts? I was like 28. I look back now, it's like, how lame is that? And once I realized that God had gifted me with the gift of leadership, I look back over my life and, of course, I was there, and there was a senior class president and freshman class president. I just never thought of myself as a leader. And it's like, like, and often that this is how it is, is that we don't recognize in ourselves because it comes so naturally to us, it just seems like, well, it's no big deal. Anyone could do this. So catch this, it's people with the gift of encouragement who recognize it first in other people. It's people with the gift of leadership that recognize it first in other people. And that's why as a body of Christ, we can talk about these things. So, so how has God, what, is, what are the passions he's placed in your heart? What are those things where you say, someone should do this? <laughs> what are those things when you do this, I can't believe more people aren't here? <laughs> Often an indication your area of giftedness. In fact, this becomes a problem sometimes. We call it gift projection. Where it's such a passion for us, we can't believe not everyone's into us like I'm into this. That's well because you're gifted. That's your calling, right? And then you look back over your history, how God's used you. There in your note sheet, a great quote uh, comes from Bob Buford's book, Second Half. He's quoting Peter Drucker, the great uh, business consultant who's also a strong believer now with Jesus. But he says, yeah, this is on the back. He says, Peter Drucker suggests that, the, there are, that these are the two most important questions in helping you discover the unique role God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. The questions are, number one, what have you achieved? And that's what I'm calling the history question. Looking back, he calls it competence. Number two, what do you care about deeply? That's the heart question. He calls it the passion question. 
since the goal is to find something that fits within the boundaries of these two questions, something you're good at and that really excites you. If you look deeply enough inside of you and are honest about combining your competency with your, your passion, you will find the mission that's best suited for you. But I would add one more thing. I would go back to what Oswald Chambers says, this is not something you figure out on your own. This is something you figure out in deep fellowship with Jesus. Right? Remember what he said. He said, if you want to know this, you have to press into this relationship with Jesus. And here's what I really believe. As Christ followers, often we come to Jesus with a million prayer requests. Jesus, will you bless my family? Will you bless my marriage? Will you bless my finances? Will you bless my workplace? And in that same vein, we'll say, hey, Jesus, will you help me know my gifts? But often we come from such an individualistic, self-absorbed kind of perspective. We just want a better life, right? And sometimes I think Jesus is really slow to answer those prayers because he knows that if he blesses us, we'll fall more in love with the gift than the giver. And so he's like, I, I would love to bless your life financially, but it's not time, trust me. I would love to bless your life, your, your marriage, but it's like, what you want, you don't really want to come under my leadership as your king of your marriage. You just really want to have a great marriage so you're happy. And if I bless your marriage, you're just going to go deeper and deeper and make that your big idol, and, and you're going to get further and further away from me, you see? And so often as Christ followers, what we need to do is go back to where we started this chapter in chapter 4 and verse 1, and we need to live a life worthy of our calling. Remember, we, looked, we defined that last week by saying, God, I want to please you as my top priority in every area. And as we come under the leadership of Jesus, we say, Jesus, I really want to please you. I want to live a life worthy. And so in that vein, would you show me, Jesus, which gifts you have distributed to me and what my specific assignments prepared in advance? And I believe that if we come with that attitude, that spirit, Jesus will begin to take us on a journey to discover that. And often this journey takes time. It's, it's often very much like a, a young kid growing up that uh, it's like, hey, is basketball my game? That's not really it. I tried that. Was, it, was football my game? No. And then soccer, it's like, this is it. Right? This is what I create. Or, or it's band or it's academics or whatever. Often there's a journey as we grow up to find our natural giftings. And often it's a journey with our spiritual giftings too. But as we come under his leadership, that he will begin to oversee that journey and, and we'll be able to find our position. So the first question is, do you know your position? Now, number two. The second question is, are you playing to win? Now, this is so important because on every team, there's some people playing to win, and there's some people playing for something else. I don't matter, business team, PTA team, uh, sports team. You know, when you're evaluating great athletes, like say in the NFL, when you're evaluating great athletes, one of the things general managers have to do is, if I give this guy a big contract, will he still compete like he had before I gave him the big contract? Because some athletes have a natural motor. They're going to give you their best because they love the game and they want to win. Other people love the fame. They love the, uh, the limelight. They love the lifestyle. They love the nightlife. And so on every team, the mark of a great team is everyone's there to win. And so they're, they're studying the playbook. They treat practice like a game. It's game on. They're studying the playbook. They are staying after hours to watch film. 
And when it comes to game time, they're not taking plays off. They're giving their best every time. Game's on, they're on to it. And there's other players, it's not about that. It's about the nightlife, it's about the fame, it's about the big money, it's about the lifestyle, it's about tweeting out the funniest thing. And they're not, and they're, so they're there, and they're just, they're not all there. They're on the team, they have a position, but they're not playing to win. So the question is, as a follower of Jesus, when it comes to your game, your position, are you playing to win? And here's what I find in the body of Christ kind of over our, our whole country, it's like this. I don't think it's like this in China. It's not like this in India. Because in China and India, if you're a Christian, you're in the game to win. Amen. Because if you're there, you're going to die. You're, 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 you may lose your business. You may, they may persecute you. You may be beaten. You may die. You're not even in this game if you're not in it to win. Amen. But in the United States, in our culture, we often are not in it to win. We are so distracted. We have so much affluence. There's so many opportunities. And so you look at our life, it's an issue of priorities. And so you ask someone, hey, do you know your position? Are you playing to win? And, and often what they'll say is like, hey, you know, I would love to use my gift more, but I'm just so busy. Right? I've got my family and my job, and I've got this sports, and I've got, and, and catch this, catch this. Being a follower of Jesus, part of our calling is family. Part of our calling is work. I'm not saying those things aren't important. What I'm saying is, as a follower of Jesus, you've been uniquely gifted and graced to make a difference in the kingdom, and we desperately need your gift. Amen. And so there has to be some balance here. And so you're like, for some people, you're like, like, totally into you know, the work, the family, the sports, the TV, the video games, the shopping, the kids' sports, huge thing, kids' activity. And you say, are you using your gift? Are you playing to win? I would love to use my gift more. I'm just too busy. And what we don't realize when we say that is what we're saying is, I would love to use the gift Jesus has given me. It's just not high enough on my priorities. Because if there's anything I've taught you over the years, you want to see where a person's priorities are to the best places to look are the checkbook and the calendar. And so if you pull up your outlook for a month or whatever you use the calendar, you see all the things you have scheduled. What I'm asking you is where is kingdom business on that? Where is like, I'm, this time I'm doing this for the kingdom. This time I'm doing this to serve the community of Jesus. This time I'm using my gift to expand the, the movement of Jesus. And if you look at your calendar and there's very little, if anything, or it's like, oh, three months from now I've got something, VBS is coming. <laughs> that's my one time a year when I serve. Right. If that's your paradigm, I want to challenge you. Because number one, you were created to live an epic life. Amen. And can I tell you something? Your spiritual gift is what God has given you to love the body. And when you are operating in your, er in your area of gifting, you are leveraging your love. Amen. Like I could come to you, you could say, hey, Mike, I'm really sick. Can you make me dinner? Sure, I can do that. Probably take me all day. And chances are, you're not going to be real edified, right? 
Hey, Mike, can you teach the weekend service? Yes, I can. Chances are you'll be strengthened. When you're operating in your area of gift, your gift is what Jesus has given you to, to geometrically, as a lever, raise your love. Your gift is how you leverage your love. And when you operate in your area of gifting, you are leveraging your love and building the body. And so you've been called to live an epic life. A huge part of that is this gifting. And if you're not playing to win, you are ripping off the body. You will never find your own true joy. And when Jesus comes back, you're going to have some serious questions to answer. Because what Jesus said so clearly many times the last week of his life is to whom much is given, much is required. And he said, I'm going to come back, and some of you have one talent, and some have three, and some have five. And, and, I want, and you're each responsible just for what I've given you, not for the other person, for what I've given you. And he says, the one thing that's going to matter on that day as we enter into eternity, this new community of Jesus, this new world that's coming, the one thing that's going to matter more than anything else on your calendar right now is whether you hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we just uh, we're so thankful for your word that continually just crystallizes, clarifies, and gives us great insight into what life is about, priorities in life, how to live well. And we truly want to live lives worthy of the calling. So God, maybe we haven't known this. Maybe we have been ignorant of this. Maybe we've gotten distracted from this. Maybe we're off course. But whatever it is, God, I pray that as we come to you, we give you our lives and we lay them down. We lay them down. Say, it's your life. You've given me these gifts. Show me what you want me to do. Empower me to do them. I pray that you would meet us there as we surrender to you, and you would, through that, give us great joy, uh, that we would live big, live large. Uh, we would make a difference. The community of Jesus would thrive, and we would experience life as it's meant to be. And so we pray, God, as we worship you now, as we bring you our offerings, we pray you'd use this time to cement these things in our heart. You'd speak to us as we truly lay them down before you. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Man, let's stand together. Amen. And uh, that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about, hey, coming to a place in our life, we want to live life worthy of our calling, laying it down full on, live large, go big, or go home. And so that would be my, my, my charge, my challenge for this church, that we would not be uh, mediocre, that we would not leave uh, not live um, kind of worthless lives. We wouldn't be the church of Laodicea where Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That we would receive this challenge from him today. Live large. Go big. Live epic lives. Uh, find your gifts. Make a difference. And make the kingdom rock. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next weekend.